You're listening to the Elevate Podcast, the official podcast of the Coastal LA Singles Ministry, where our focus is reaching up, reaching in, and reaching out. Hey man, you've been encouraged by the worship this morning? Amen. It takes a lot to uh, rehearse and put all those songs together. I appreciate appreciate the sound crew and the AV crew and all of you guys doing work, ushers and everybody uh, that put everything together. You know, it's not easy, so I get it. Um, so I guess we had a little technical difficulty with uh, my, my slides, you know what I'm saying? But uh, you know what? Jesus didn't have no slides, right? I don't need no stinking slides, right? We'll figure this thing on out right here. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make it work, right? We're going to talk about the title of the message today is Thrive. Anybody want to thrive around here? You know what I mean? Thrive, right? And when you look up Thrive, it, it talks about being uh, to grow vigorously. All right, you know, amen to that. I like that. To flourish to gain in wealth and, and prosper. You say, amen. No, it doesn't always happen that way, right? But there's another definition that I found uh, in the uh, on Merriam-Webster's dictionary.com, but it says to progress toward or to realize a goal despite or because of your circumstances. Think about that. Thrive. To progress toward or realize... A goal despite or because of your circumstances. And so I think the, the question that we got to deal with is, can a unmarried person thrive? Right? It, I mean, because last time I checked, that, that to me is extremely possible in Scripture. Amen? And I, I'm fired up. I mean, just so you know, the, the congregation that we're a part of uh, in, in the Atlanta area, you know, we, we've uh, restructured our church and we've kind of put together the church in different communities is what we call it. Similar concept of regions or whatever. But uh, we've got singles that are leading some of these. OK, uh, the one that I'm in, we got we got two singles. Well, one Dennis just got married last week, but uh, but he's been single for years and he was one of the guys that was he's leading leading the region. You know, uh, we've on our board, you know, a church has boards, right? Uh, we appreciate the board. I don't want to have to make decisions on should we buy an air conditioning unit? You know, pe- preachers don't need to worry about that stuff. But, uh, oh, there it is. And Holy Spirit happened. There it is. But, uh, but we have, uh, we have a single person on our board at the church. I mean, hey, unmarried people, they should be able to thrive, in my opinion. You should be able to reach your goals, you know, despite of or whatever, because of your circumstances, right? And, uh, and, and, but here's the problem. Christianity has its roots in what? Judaism. All right. And so there are some things in Judaism that we have to kind of contend with. Right. And just be real. I mean, the, the Bible does say it's not good for man to be alone. Right. And so a lot of times the, the Jewish faith puts a lot of stock in marriage. Okay. And if you read the, the first commandment that God gives the people is to be fruitful and multiply. And so in the Jewish faith, to this day, it's a sign of God's favor if you are able to have many children. And so just that whole concept of being married, having children, just it's in our Christian roots that we almost give favor to the family. We have to be very careful about that. And so I think we have to be honest that there are 
aspects of scripture that even seem to elevate the role of the married person or the person that has kids. And in fact, if you don't, if you're not married and you have children and you look in scripture, it can be a challenge, right? Think about what happened with Jesus's earthly parents, right? Joseph found out Mary was pregnant. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I need to divorce you. But, um, but you know, look back in the Old Testament. Judah, Tamar, right? He slept with her. He didn't know that she was in disguise, right? And she turns out pregnant. He wants to have her killed. You, you gotta be married to have children. That's in Jew, that Jewish roots that, where Christianity comes from. And, uh, and think about the eunuch and the, the barren woman. These people that can't have children. They're lower. In, in the in the scriptures. So you have to really at least be honest and, and realize that in our theological roots, we tend to elevate those that are married, those that can have children. And if you don't at least acknowledge that, you can get into some, some challenges. So I think it's fair to acknowledge it, but guess what? You can still thrive even if your circumstances, you are not married and that you do not have children or something like that. Amen? So we're going to look at some people in the Bible. We're going to go straight into the Word of God. Are you ready to do that? All right, well, I'm not going to talk about myself. We're going to get into God's Word. Amen? So let's pray. Father, I pray for this time. I pray that your Spirit can be powerful among us. I pray that all the misformed structures of our inner being, our off-thinking, that your Spirit can form Jesus in those places. I pray that we can look in the scriptures and see people who were not married, but who were able to thrive. And I pray that we can be inspired by them and that we can glean things from their lives. And we're grateful that they have been recorded in scripture so we can refer to them over and over again. And Father, thank you that no matter what life situation we're in, thank you that you, because of you, we can thrive. And we pray this prayer in the name and in the authority and in the power of Jesus. Amen. You know, recent, recently at our church, we, uh, we did a, a series on Ruth, and uh, we took a month to just talk about Ruth. And the, we, we just talked about drawing near to God. That, that was really the theme. And I wanted to look at some aspects of, of Ruth and Naomi, because I think those are two women who found themselves in a certain life circumstance, right? They were not married, but man, we can see a lot of how you can still thrive, right? You can still reach goals and things can still happen powerfully. And I want us to learn from these people that are unmarried uh, in the scriptures. And uh, I don't have time to kind of go through all of it. You know kind of the backstory, hopefully. If not, you know, honestly, I found a lot of people hadn't read the book of Ruth and it freaked me out. You know what I mean? It was like the women had heard it a million times, probably because of women's days and stuff. But a lot of the brothers were like, hey man, I didn't know that stuff was in there, man. I'm like, bruh, you need to open up your Bible, man. You know what I'm but we know the backstory, hopefully. We know that Naomi went uh, and left Israel with her husband, and uh, which was a questionable choice. They went to a foreign land, uh, but over time, about uh, her uh, Naomi's husband died. Uh, they had children, though, and those children both got married. Their two sons got married, but then their two sons died. And so Naomi's a widow, and now she's got two daughters-in-law. They're widows. Here they are, unmarried women in a totally agrarian, male-dominated society. Not good. But the Scripture says that when Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord, the Lord had come to the aid of his people, by providing food for them, she and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. 
And with her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she had been living and set out on the road that would take her back to the land of Judah. And I think one of the things to see is even though her life circumstance was challenging, she still drew near to God. She was trying to move towards where the Lord was working. Okay. And notice the scripture doesn't say, and the weather patterns changed favorably. That's not what it says. You know, in scripture, it says, God clearly said, if you obey me, you will find that your crops will do well. Your, your, your livestock will have children. You read those scriptures. God said, if you really are obedient to the way I want you to live in your society, I will take care of you. But he also said, if you forsake me, you will see things like droughts and crops not doing well. Read your Bible. And so here's a situation where Naomi bit her challenging life situation, but she hears not that just the weather changed, but people are starting to say, the Lord has helped us again there. He's, he's helping us. There's food again. And she heard that and decided to move towards the Lord, even though her life situation wasn't encouraging in that moment. And But here's the deal. You know, Naomi, she's talking to her daughters-in-law. She said, you guys need to go home. You know, may the Lord deal kindly with you. Again, she could be upset and she is upset for crying out loud. She's mourning. But who's she talking about? The Lord. She's still talking about that the Lord can treat a person kindly, even though in her life she might not have been feeling that God was treating her kindly. And then she goes, you know, in verse 9, may the Lord grant each of you to find security. I mean, she's just saying, you know what, my life's not doing great, but I hope God can help you. And she's trying to tell him, you know, move on with your life. I'm an old widow. Move on. You know, maybe God will take care of you. But then notice, notice also what she says. She says, you know, I'm too old to get married. All right. So in her mind, she's got, she's still drawing near to God, even though the prospect of marriage is probably not in the cards for her. And to be honest with you, some people struggle with that, right? If they feel like I don't have the prospects, it's hard for me to draw near to God. Let's look at an unmarried woman in scripture who's hurting, who's mourning, still drawing near to God. That is the key to thriving. Despite your circumstances that may seem discouraging and the prospects that you had and the dreams that are shattered, still draw near to God as hard as that may be. And that's what she did. And that's what she fought to do. And, and, and here's the situation. One of the, one of the, the, the daughters-in-law, she was like, I, you know, I'm going to go home. I'm going to go back home. I love you, but I, 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 this is a challenging situation. And who, you can't really blame her, right? And, and then Ruth, but Ruth wouldn't do it. What does the Bible say? Ruth clung to Naomi. No, I'm not going back home. Here's an unmarried woman in the Bible, one of the most powerful moments in the Old Testament. And it comes from a woman who's single. She says, I'm, you know what? She, she clung to Ruth and she said, you know, you, you know, I, 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 I don't urge me to leave you. D- to turn back and to not follow you. For wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people. And your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I'll be buried. Thus and more may the Lord do to me if anything but death parts me from you. This is a spiritual decision that Ruth makes. Ruth isn't even an Israelite people. She's a foreigner. So how can she get this much faith in the Lord. How does even she understand the Lord? I believe as she looked at Naomi. 
She saw, she saw something in Naomi. Have you ever felt that you're doing bad spiritually? And have you ever thought, I, I can't help nobody. God, God's not going to use me. If people look at my life, they're going to say, man, your life is toe up from the flow up. Man, I don't want nothing to do with you. Why would I want to live like you? I mean, look, if God is so great, why? I mean, look at your life. You got no prospects, right? You would think that maybe Naomi think, how can God work through me? But notice, even in her pain, she kept drawing near to God. She kept mentioning that God could still maybe do great things, even if her life isn't great. And I think Ruth saw it. And Ruth had a chance to go to be with her family and her gods and find a husband again and start her life over. But she said, no, there's something in your God that I want to know. And she for, she gives up the prospects. She's going to be a foreign woman in Israel. Not good on the list of prospective people to marry. But she was still willing to do that. And you know what? Here's the crazy part. If she said, you know what, Naomi, I'm going to go with you and I'll be there with you. And when you die, I'll be there. When you breathe your last breath, Naomi, I'm going to be right there to close your eyes. And if she would have stopped right there, we'd have been still like, wow, that's amazing. Right? But she, do, she doesn't stop there. When you die, I'm going to be there. Even after you die, they're going to bury me there. I'm not just going to do this for just your lifetime. I'm in it forever. I'm giving, it's almost like she's making a marriage, you know, in a sense, to Naomi. Guys, even in your tough circumstances, you, God can work through you. You can still have an, a powerful effect on other people's lives to where they'll even want to get closer to God. Here are two unmarried women thriving despite their circumstances because God is drawing them near. Amen? Fire up. Let's get inspired by these women. Brothers, we can get inspired by women in the Bible. Amen. You know, amen to the women in the Bible, right? All right. Scooting along. Now I'm going to talk about some dudes, all right? <laughs> dudes, all right? My man, Jeremiah. We're going to talk about Jeremiah, all right? Jeremiah, he had an interesting start, right? Here God comes to Jeremiah and he says, you know what? Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. And Jeremiah said, I'm ready. No, he didn't say that. He said, man, I don't know how to speak. I'm too young. Oh, bro. Sounds like Moses a little bit, right? But Moses was 80 some years old when he said it. This dude's really young. But so it just shows you how people can be. This is who we are. God says, this is what I can do. I can do. I can do. Immediately, we just focus on what we're not. It's not about what we are or not. It's what God can do. Right? And so God listens to him say that. He goes, look, don't say that stuff. Right? You know? What did he say? He said, look, do not be afraid. I'm with you. And I'll rescue. So that, that's the terms of their their engagement right there. So here's Jeremiah. He hears a message from God. And he thinks he's too young. But God says, don't worry about it. I am with you. So how does it go for my man, Jeremiah? He's got a tough message to preach. And if you know your Bible, it's, he got us, he's some strong messages and, it, and people don't like listening to him. They, they, they beat him up. They put him in situations. He's crying a lot. They call him the weeping prophet. I mean, it's not going great for Jeremiah. All right. 
And Jeremiah means a lot to me. I, I became a Christian at 25. I went into the ministry. My first day in the full-time ministry was my one-year spiritual birthday. I felt like I was in over my head. I didn't know what I was doing. I can relate to Jeremiah. I'm, t- I'm not ready. This isn't for me. A few months, in, in uh, uh, maybe a year or two into being a, uh, a Christian, the guy that was leading our church went through a lot, ended up coming out of the ministry, having family problems. Another, they, another guy came in, and then they moved me to Orange County. I had no idea. I went to a dinner, and the next thing I know, Christy and I are moving to Orange County three weeks later. Totally went to Orange County. I was beat up. I was struggling. Little faith, but Peter Garcia hung in there with me and helped me out. And then he got kind of moved to a different situation. They brought another guy in to lead the, the ministry. And he only led the ministry for like six months. And they put another guy in. And then the other guy was with me. But he was like an interesting bird. And he moved on to another place. And then uh, another guy came in, Tom Brown. And one day Tom's like, hey, bro, I'm moving to Georgia. What? And then another guy. And I was just like, dude, I'm done. You know what I mean? Through it all, I just was struggling. And there, there came, there were moments when I was done. I, my res, I literally had written my resignation there. I'm serious. I was done. I'm like, I'm, I'm through. I'm through. And so I know what Jeremiah can feel that, you know, there were moments in, when Jeremiah, remember, remember this in Jeremiah, he's like, Lord, you understand. Remember me and care for me. Avenge me on my persecutors. You are long suffering. Don't take me away. Think of how I suffer reproach for your sake. When your words came, I ate them. I was fired up, always zealous at every church service, right? They were my joy, my heart's delight, for I bear your name, Lord God Almighty. I'm doing this for you, God. I'm doing all this for you. I told you I was too young, but you said, no, keep going. And that's what I've been doing. But these people persecuting me, I don't like this. I never went out partying, didn't go to the clubs. I sat alone. Because your hand was on me and you filled me with righteous indignation. But why is my pain unending? Why is my wound grievous and incurable? You know, you are to me like a deceptive brook and like a spring that fails. Have you ever felt that way with God? You duped me. I thought my life was going to be happy. That I would, I would experience joy. I became a Christian and I thought that all I needed to do is have quiet times and share my faith. And, 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 and life was going to be always happy. And surely I'd get married after a few months or a year or two and it was, you know, have my family and do all that. And that was the, that's what I thought. So I was waiting for the water to come down, but the stream was dry. You you're not coming through for me. Wow. That's strong. Have you ever felt like that? It's hard to thrive when you feel that way. So, but what happened? You know, and, and sometimes you just really, you don't get what you want in life, guys. You know, you just don't. You don't get what you want. And either you can just start packing your bags and go, or you can allow it to just mold you. Right? Let, let's read this quote together. I love this one. You ready? It is spiritually formative to be dissatisfied. And unable to resolve that dissatisfaction. In fact, there is hardly a better, what's the word? Uh, There's hardly a better catalyst for transformation than to not get what we want. Sitting in the dissatisfaction 
without frantically trying to resolve it, can do wonders for the human soul. When we don't get what we want, we're more acutely aware of eternity. We're more apt to remember God. We learn what it really means to trust Him. When we don't get what we want, we have to deal with our inner restlessness. We have to face ourselves and our addictions, and we have to deal with the various medications we use to cope with life. When that brook of God seems like it's dry, who do you become? I'm telling you, you can thrive in those situations. You can allow that to change you and form Jesus in you if you allow God to work on you and in you in those times. You know, God said, oh, I hear your little message. I appreciate your little sermon, Jeremiah. But God said, you know, you need to repent. You know what I mean? You might think, well, that's kind of harsh. I don't think so. What does repent mean? It just really means change. You need to change your thinking, man. You need to change the way you're approaching this situation. And, 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 you know, he says, you know, God kind of tells him, hey, look, I'll take care of you. But look what he says. Once again, for I am with you to rescue you and save you. Once again, that was the original deal in the first place. God hasn't changed his character. Right? And I, I mean, God's like, I'm still saying the same thing I said to you in chapter one. And so after this, surely things get better. So God probably gives him a better situation. You know, now God knows he was on a tough situation. But this is the, this next part, I've found that a lot of people didn't realize this about Jeremiah's life. But this is the next chapter, right? Jeremiah, you're not going to get married. You're never going to have kids. That's your, that's your lot in life. If that were the book of the Bible named after you, there might not be a chapter 17. You know what I'm saying? Some of us might be like, okay, (laughs) thanks for letting me, I'm out of here, you know. (laughs) Jeremiah 16 to the end, right? (laughs) But that was Jeremiah's reality. So so is Jeremiah going to still be the spokesperson for this God who has told him you will not marry or have kids? You will not experience that. How would you respond? Could you thrive, realize your goals in that circumstance? Could you do it? What's in your heart right now? What are you feeling? Would chapter 16 be the end of your story? You see, I'm grateful for this unmarried guy because he kept, he kept going. And he delivered one of the best scriptures that has helped me. And everybody, I hope you all have certain scriptures that literally saved your life. I hope we, and if you've never experienced it, I hope one day you will. And one of my times when I was ready to quit and I'm done with church and ministry, I'm going to go back and do something else. I I remember meditating on this scripture like a million times. The very next chapter, Jeremiah, right? And this, this, this scripture kind of rebuked me, right? This is what the Lord says. This is the Lord speaking through Jeremiah. So Jeremiah is having to say this inspired by God. Knowing the stuff in Jeremiah's own heart. Here's what he says. Cursed is the one who trusts in man. Who draws strength from mere flesh and whose heart turns away from the Lord. People like that, they're going to be like a bush in a wasteland. They won't see prosperity even when it's staring them in the face. They will deal with the parched place, dwell in the parched place in the desert, in a salt land where no one lives. Lonely. When you trust in flesh, in people. When all you do is look at people. 
And your whole life is wrapped up in what somebody is or isn't doing. Or what you can or can't do. Or what's happening in your life. Or, if that's who you are, you're going to be cursed. You're going to be, you're going to be living in a fruitless place. Alone. So you got to, and I remember reading that like, man, that's kind of me. I think I'm all about, this person's not there for me. This person didn't train me. I don't like the way the church is this. I don't like that. That's where I was. And I read this and I'm like, man, that's me. And even my wife would tell me, you're negative, Jeff. You know, you, man, there are a lot of great things going and you don't even see it. I mean, she literally would say that stuff to me and I was just funky. But Jeremiah, I appreciate God spoke through him because Jeremiah didn't quit. So he was able to say this too, but blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord whose confidence is in him. They will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It doesn't fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought. It never fails to bear fruit, even if you don't get what you want. Which kind of person do you want to be? I want to be that type of person. But we never would have heard that passage if Jeremiah, an unmarried guy who ended up needing to be unmarried, his life didn't allow God to work through him. God worked on him, in him, and through him. Jeremiah was able to thrive and help another guy thrive. And I hope he can help you thrive. These are unmarried people in the scriptures. We got to be inspired by them, you know. There's another unmarried guy in the Bible. Jesus, right? <laughs> I'm running out of time. Hey, how much time I got, by the way? My timer, I didn't start it. What do I have? No, seriously, I, what, 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 like five, three, seven, five minutes? Put my timer on. So, Jesus. If Jesus, if you're at a meeting, you probably might not share about Jesus at the good news, Right? At some point in time. Think about his earthly life. Just, just his earthly life. Think about these passages in his earthly life, alright? I got five minutes. I'm, Luke 2, his parents, right? They, they give the offering, but what offering do they give? They give the offering that poor people give. And when you see the little footnote at the bottom of Luke 2, that'll take you to the Old Testament scripture in Leviticus that talks about if you don't have, if you can't afford the lamb, you do that. So Jesus' earthly family, we already talked about mom and dad's sketchy situation, who's pregnant, what, whoa, sketch. Then they're poor, so that's got its own social stigmas, right? And then notice Mark 6, Jesus comes back, right? He begins to teach, and then look what people say about him. Man, who is, that's, man, that's Mary's kid. That's the carpenter's kid, man. Where did he think he'd get all this wisdom from? Literally, this guy grew up in a small town 30 years his whole life. He's God in the flesh, and they don't even see any, anything out of the ordinary spiritual about this guy. There's nothing in Jesus that is powerful or amazing to the, his contemporaries. They literally go, this guy ain't nothing. It, you, trust me, if you were in a leader's meeting, hey, I, I'm studying with this guy. He's really poor. He's uh, barely got a job. I mean, you know, he's a carpenter. Um, he doesn't have a girlfriend. The guy's not married. He's, you know, he's getting in his thirties and he, you know, there must be something wrong with him. I don't know, but he's a great guy. That's how, right? So Jesus, not impressing anybody. He's not impressing anybody. An unmarried guy. His earthly credentials aren't there. His earthly credentials simply are not there. Right? 
So can a guy like that thrive? Yes, you can. You know why? I want you to remember this. Some people, you, these, are, these are scriptures you've heard. But notice this. Matthew 3, he gets baptized, right? And what, is, what does God say? A voice. This is my son whom I love. With him I'm well pleased. Is this the beginning or end of Jesus' ministry? The beginning. He hadn't died on the cross. He hadn't reached his final goal. How does God feel about him? He loves him. He's pleased with him. Some of you struggle with that message. You look at your earthly situation, you don't measure up, and you literally think you don't have any value with God. You're not valued. He doesn't care about you. Yeah, he does. Matthew 17, same thing. He's being transfigured. He hadn't done it yet. He hasn't achieved his goal, but God, again, reinforces the message. I believe in you. I'm pleased with you. You know what? So many singles around the world, you don't feel like God values you. You feel like you've got to achieve and do all these things. Jesus hadn't achieved hardly anything, but God's still saying, I value you. I love you. I'm pleased with you. I just want you to hear your father loves you and he's pleased with you. That's the truth. You don't have to measure up all these other ways you try to measure up. And I'm going to close out with a story. You, you, you ready for this story? I still got like three minutes and seven seconds. I'm going to use every, every second of it, all right? Hey, man, this is a story that uh, I didn't make up, and uh, I found this story, and it, I found it to be meaningful, you know, shared it with some people. Like I said, you've probably heard this story before. I know you've heard a version of this story before, uh, and uh, hopefully it'll encourage you. But, you know, if the... Uh, if you get the little squirrely circle that goes around, you probably won't hear the story. <laughs> I love technology. All right, here we go. A young girl grows up on a farm just above Valdosta, Georgia. Her parents, a bit old-fashioned, tend to overreact to her nose ring, the music she listens to, and the friends she hangs out with. Her parents can't stomach her political views and are anxious when she expresses her questions about her own sexual orientation. So they get stuck in a pattern of arguments that end up getting her grounded, with everybody frustrated, angry, and exhausted. I hate you! She screams at her father when he knocks on the door of her room after a particularly heated exchange. And that night, she acts on a plan she has mentally rehearsed scores of times. She runs away. She has visited Miami only once before on a bus trip with her church youth group to help clean up after a hurricane. Because the news consistently reports in lurid detail the gangs, drugs, and violence in downtown Miami, she concludes that is probably the last place her parents will look for her. California, maybe, or Atlanta, but not South Beach. Her second day there, she meets a man who drives the nicest car she's ever seen. He offers her a ride, buys her lunch, even arranges a place for her to stay. He noticed she's really anxious, and he, he gives her some pills that actually make her feel better than she's ever felt before. She was right all along, she decides. Her parents were keeping her from all the fun. The good life continues for a month, two months, a year. The man with the big car, she calls him boss, teaches her a few things that men like. And since she's underage, men pay a premium for her. She lives in a penthouse and orders room service whenever she wants. 
Occasionally, she thinks about the folks back home, but their lives now seem so boring that she can hardly even believe she grew up there. After a year, the first signs of illness appear. And it amazes her how fast the boss turns mean. These days, we can't mess around, he growls. And before she knows it, she's out on the street without a penny to her name. When an unexpectedly and unseasonably cold winter blows in, she finds herself sleeping on metal grates outside of the department stores. And sleeping is the wrong word. A teenage girl at night can never relax her guard. Dark bands circle her eyes. Her cough worsens. And one night, as she lies awake, listening for footsteps, all of a sudden, everything about her life looks different. She no longer feels like a woman of the world. She feels like a little girl, lost in a cold and frightening city. She begins to whimper. Her pockets are empty, and she's hungry. She needs a fix. She pulls her legs tight underneath her and shivers under the newspaper. She's piled up atop her coat. Something jolts a synapse of memory, and a single image fills her mind. May in Valdosta, Georgia, at the county fair, and the smell of corn dogs and popcorn is more intoxicating than any drug she ever took. And how afterwards the whole family would sit on the porch and make fun of the one who was the most scared on the rides and they would laugh well into the night. God, why did I leave? She says to herself and the pain stabs at her. My dog back home eats better than I do now. She's sobbing. And she knows in a flash that more than anything else in the world, she wants to go home. It takes her about a month but she was determined to scrounge up enough money for a one-way ticket back to Valdosta. Three straight phone calls, three straight connections with the voicemail. She hangs up without leaving a message the first two times, but the third time she says, Dad, Mom, it's me. I was wondering about maybe coming home. I'm catching a bus up your way, and it'll get there about midnight tomorrow. If you're not there, well, I guess I'll just find a way to move on with my life somewhere else. It takes about nine hours for a bus to make all the stops between Miami and Valdosta. And during that time, she realizes the flaws in her plan. What if her parents are out of town? What if they never get the message? Maybe she should have waited another day so she could talk to them first. Even if they're home, they probably wrote her off long ago. She should have given them more time. Her thoughts bounce back and forth between those worries and the speech she's preparing for her father. Dad, I'm sorry. I know I was wrong. It's not your fault. It's all mine. Dad, can you forgive me? She says the words over and over, her throat tightening even as she rehearses them. She hadn't apologized to anyone in years. When the bus finally rolls into the station, its air brakes hissing, the driver announces in a crackly voice, Fifteen minutes, folks. That's all we have here. Fifteen minutes to decide her life. She checks herself in a compact mirror, smooths her hair and licks the lipstick off her teeth. She looks at the tobacco stains on her fingertips and wonders if her parents will notice if they're even there. She walks into the terminal, not knowing what to expect. 
and not one of the thousand scenes that have played out in her mind prepare her for what she sees. There in the concrete walls and plastic chairs bus terminal in Baldosta, Georgia, stands a group of 40 family members, brothers and sisters and great aunts and uncles and cousins and a grandmother and a great-grandmother to boot. They're all wearing ridiculous-looking party hats <laughs> and blowing noisemakers, and taped across the entire wall of the terminal is a banner that reads, Welcome home. Out of the crowd of well-wishers breaks her dad. She looks through tears and begins the memorized speech. Dad, I'm sorry. I know he interrupts her. Hush, child. We've got no time for that. No time for apologies. You'll be late for the party. A banquet's waiting for you back home. You are valued by your father, and don't you ever forget it. He will make you thrive. Amen. You've just listened to the Elevate Podcast. For more information about our ministry, please visit elevatecoastal.com.